Hello and a warm welcome to our second edition of the Brawl Property Intel podcast. I'm Kukule Tumfupi and looking forward to joining you again in what promises to be a riveting conversation where we really dig deep into understanding our theme for today, why return to the workplace. Now, the first time you and I might have engaged, it was in a different world where lockdown had yet to become our reality in South Africa and across the continent. But given that uh, the South African economy is still under restricted lockdown rules and conditions, we decided to reflect on this conversation by really getting to grasp why it is that we should return to the workplace, how it impacts our psychology, and most importantly, how we make it a practical experience to make it a safe environment to return to, and one where employees can still be productive. For that, we're joined by a myriad of speakers who'll be giving us their insight and expertise from their various backgrounds. To start off with, we'll be joined by Natasha Winkler. She's an organizational psychologist and organizational design consultant. We'll also be joined by Liani Minnie, Managing Director for Internal Developers at Cushman and Wakefield, Brawl. Carl McWilliams will join us as a representative of Shared Services at Hollard. Following that, we'll also engage with Richard Flame. He's the Director for Facilities Management at Brawl. And Brett South, who's the Company Secretary for Hilton College. It promises to be quite an engaging conversation and one that many of us will be able to learn from as we dig deep in terms of understanding some of the psychological, the practical and property dynamics that need to be implemented to make sure that our return to the workplace and schooling environment is one that is safe and able to be uh, sustainable. Natasha, I'd like to start off with you. I think for many of us uh, who have been at work and even how we're hosting this conversation, we're in our various spaces of safety, whether at the office or in the comfort of our homes. But this is a new reality that many of us have had to adapt to. Give us an understanding as to how, from a psychological point of view, this is really added to certain emotional dynamics like anxiety, increased nervousness, and how we need to be understanding the human psyche in this new change in the tide. Thank you so much, Guru, and thank you for the opportunity to share. Um, I want to make two observations first. I think we, we um, very easily reference to things like safety and assuming working from home is a safer bet. Uh, we, shouldn't, uh, we should also be mindful of um, some situations that people find themselves in, like gender-based violence, etc., which hasn't necessarily been a safe situation. Um, and I think having said that, the reason I'm saying that is because oftentimes we think we are all in the same boat, um, while the boat is not necessarily the same for every person. Every, everybody is experiencing this situation and this lockdown in a very unique um, way. What I have observed, though, is a rise in compassionate behaviors of leaders in South Africa. Um, I think we've always had a focus on mental and emotional well-being in the um, organization, but not necessarily all organizations has taken that up. But with the onset of COVID-19, there has been an increase, and there's been an increased demand for work psychologists to step in and assist. Um, another observation, just in terms of this rush to get back to workplaces, um, a few things that I've observed is there has been a lot of focus um, in workplaces around the safety processes and how people engage. Uh, but we should also remember that people are also coming in with fear and confusion. So we need to be mindful of the psychological um, responses. 
Um, firstly, why do we return to work? So obviously there's essential services, there's manufacturing environments where people have to physically be at the workplace, but there's also, like all of us sitting comfortably at our houses, um, there has been a greater awareness that we can work from home. So the question remains, why do we have to um, return to workplaces? I want to start off with why do we work in the first place? The employee contract or the employment contract is obviously focused on the financial reward um, and the normal rewards for why you work. But we shouldn't uh, forget about the psychological contract. Work gives us agency, it's, it's pride, it's a sense of accomplishment, doing something that's important. So the physical and emotional spaces um, that work offer or the organization offer is a means for us to live out our purpose. There hasn't been a more apt time where we've seen boundaries shifting. We always talk about work-life balance, which is actually an anomaly, um, but there's been no greater display about how the boundaries have totally shifted um, with the onset of lockdown. Uh, we've all been forced, and by the way, I also want to emphasize, this is a psychological experiment that we did not choose. So some of my partners, Brett and Richard, that would speak to the actual practical change management, usually change is something we can navigate and plan and manage. None of us chose this. Um, so, it's, so it's an interesting change psychological experiment. Um, so, so why we work as well is we want to contribute to something useful. Now, the question is, for those of us that can work safely from home and effectively, why do we need or why do we feel the sense of, of going back to workplaces? And I want to share with you some of my more introvert colleagues um, was extremely excited with the perspective of working from home and isolation. And last week, one of my most introverted colleagues said, oh my goodness, I'm tearing out my hair. I need to get back. I need to see and feel my colleagues. Um, so, so firstly, going back, there's obviously productivity considerations. At times when we focus and in our offices, we can be more productive. But we also, there's certain types of work where we do need to have engagement and interaction. There's something we call social constructionism. And social constructionism is just saying, if I have an idea and you have an idea, Google, and we put the two ideas together, we can come up with a third idea. And that is where teamwork and collaboration is so important. Now we can achieve teamwork and collaboration, as we can see in a virtual platform, um, but with that, there's, um, there are other challenges that come. You can't see body language, you can't read facial expressions. Um, we, uh, in, in technology or in a virtual environment, everything takes longer than usual and it's more emphasized. So, so those are some of the reasons why we have this need to go back. We also work, as I said, not just for the economic benefit, but there's also a psychological benefit. Uh, you want to network, you want to partner, you want to engage with um, your co-workers. Um, and that is something we are, we are um, missing at this point in time, being um, away from our colleagues. Um, lastly, as well, when people go through change, as we've been forced into change, we have to be mindful of the mental and emotional processes. So apart from the fear and the loss and the uncertainty, ambiguity that we've all been going through, um, there's also something uh, in change. And, and David Rock is a famous neuroscientist and he calls it the scarf model. He says, 
all human beings look for, for status and, and not status in the way that social media portrays it, but status in the way of I matter, I, I'm important, um, I, I need to exist, I need to be acknowledged. We also need certainty and, and I don't think anyone can, can diffuse that. There is no certainty, we're all living in, a, in, in ambiguity. But somehow, and, and we read it in Viktor Frankl's work, we all need a future. We need something that we can look forward to that gives us hope. Um, we also need autonomy. And the, one of the best ways to be productive and work in a virtual space, if a line manager gives the person control over their environment, so they need to feel they can set their boundaries, they can set their agenda. Um, and then relatedness. We, we need to feel safe with others. Um, and the last thing he emphasizes is fairness. So, and we see a lot of um, what is not fair in the situation that we're finding ourselves. Uh, but those are the type of things that people are looking for um, when they go through uncertainty and, and change. Um, so, so those are really a few of the considerations I would give as an introduction in terms of the need to go back to work. I think you've highlighted a lot of the important elements that we need to be cognizant of, especially from an emotional as well as psychological point of view. Uh, and I'd like to just uh, bring you in deeper to perhaps give us some insight as to how returning to work or even places of school um, increase productivity and how that again aligns to our sense of self-actualization um, and autonomy as you described earlier. So first of all, Gugu, I think um, I've mentioned the, the productivity considerations. There are times when working in isolation, when you can focus, actually makes you more productive, while there are times when you need to work in a team or you need tools and, and methodologies back in the office space or in your, your environment to work with. If you are also more client focused, um, so, so productivity is different for different individuals. Um, secondly, if you do not have a, an organizational culture that is conducive for virtual collaboration, um, it is, ex is accentuated in these circumstances that we find ourselves in. So the trust culture, a collaborative culture, empowered employees, those are the type of things that is required to make virtual collaboration more effective. Um, I want to focus on, on some of the psychological impacts that COVID-19 and lockdown has brought on to us, uh, because that'll also give us a clue on what do we need to focus when people go back to the workplace. So first of all, um, most of our responses has really been around survival and tactical responsiveness. So the, the motivation and the, the behavioral shifts that we've all been experienced has got lasting effects. Um, for some of you on the call, you may have um, experienced uh, loss or trauma. I personally uh, lost an uncle during this time. I was far away from my family. I could not, we could not mourn in the normal or the usual ways. And we had to find other ways to deal with our trauma. But that trauma is gonna have a lasting impact. And that's but one example. There's a number of other types of uh, traumas and unintentional consequences that people are having to deal with. There's moral and ethical dilemma of our freedom versus being locked down for our own safety, biological versus economic life, um, the fair distribution of resources uh, for, for 
corporates, do I pay my employees or do I pay my suppliers? Um, there is no absolute right or wrong answer. And um, the other thing that we have to also remember, as I said, lockdown was not necessarily a decision. And the boundaries that we had to navigate and manage throughout all this. So just yesterday, I saw an, an insert on the news where they interviewed a nurse. And for me, there wasn't a more clear example of boundary between work and home life. Because if you think about our medical professions, they have the added fear of taking a disease or taking a, um, the COVID-19 back home to their families. So, so the uh, added stress and tension um, that they have to, to deal with. Um, Guva, please remind me of the question. <laughs> You're on a roll here, and I think that you uh, provided a very important segue for us to perhaps expand this conversation further, Natasha. Um, okay. And this time I'd like to direct the question to Liani. Um, I, I, Roll has a tagline that progressive property people. And this conversation certainly looks to intertwine all these key themes. People, as has been highlighted by Natasha, uh, property, which is one of the prior primary focuses of Brawl Property Group, but most importantly, how as an entity you are progressive in responding to the current dynamics. Uh, how, is, how have you, uh, as a leader at Brawl, internalized this particular challenge? Uh, and uh, of course, also having to adopt new strategies that you approach for a variety of your clients who, as Natasha mentioned, um, need to balance these emotional dynamics, improve their level of productivity, and of course, continue to seek new areas of collaboration with their peers. Uh, Liani, uh, how has Brawl essentially uh, had to internalize this conversation and implement it strategy-wise for the business? Thank you for um, the question and thank you for the introduction as well. Um, from our side, I think in, even though this is a pandemic worldwide and there's a lot of um, uncertainty, as Natasha has rightly said, I think there's a lot of opportunity and optimism that we can get from this. So one of the things I want to bring to light is the, the concept of why we, the question you asked of why do we, why should we return to the workplace at all? So if you consider that employees can work forcedly, they have been able to work pretty much from everywhere. This is, a, this is something that we've been advocating in agile working for years. However, the pandemic has made us open to, for all leaders, that their staff and all employees can work remotely. So, and I would like to exclude not all, all home offices are conducive to such environments, to productive environments, um, whether it's family responsibilities, whether it's noise, where, whether it's just pain discomfort, whether you don't have access to your tools and technology that you actually need. But besides from that, the question is more psychological. The question that I would like to ask is, how do employers then, if they understand that their employees have um, understood the advantages and the disadvantages of working from home, what are employers going to do to get their people back to work? Um, and then from my, that side, it's like you, people, as Natasha said, you need a, your social beings. So we need a sense of connectedness. So even though we are physically disconnected at the moment, we still, from a social level, we need to be stay connected. And as much as the virtual world connects us all, it does not give us, we can't um, rely on the energy of our colleagues and our peers. So even a sense of camaraderie that you can get from the office environment in such a pandemic as this, 
that's the amazing thing. It's something that you can share with your colleagues. Even if it's venting, everybody's going to vent. So you've got somebody to vent it with. Um, so in the office space, what I would just say, people won't be able to come back to an office space that looks like it did before the pandemic. Um, firstly, if you think of, if they now gradually start to return to the office, um, you might have, most corporates, for example, might find this, um, you're going to go back to a graveyard. The reason why I say that, people go in staggered bits and pieces. You've got 3,000 square meters and there's what, uh, 10 people, 15 people a day coming back to the office. At a different place in the office. So the first thing that companies need to understand from this and very like value is you need to create a central hub. You need to create the heart of your workplace where everybody can come together and everybody can connect from different businesses, different sectors. And that would actually accelerate the process of where you want your company to be. Because in the future, you would not want your employees to come to the office for work they can actually do from home. They would be able, considering schools are packed operational, speaking of my two own children, um, you would be able to work more productively on some work from home. However, companies need to understand the effectiveness of the employees and what those spaces should look like. So the whole work environment will change to firstly having a hub and a heart of the company, and then providing obviously the a variety of work settings where people can do different types of work should they be in the office that whole day. Hope that answered your question. It certainly does. And I think for many of us uh, who think about the property space and even our own workspaces, you think about an open plan office, shared boardrooms uh, and opportunities for people to increase levels of collaboration. And as you say, this has already been placed on its head as we need to be more innovative. And this drives me, Liani, to actually come to you to question you about the four C's. Uh, in going back to the hub uh, and creation of these office spaces, I understand you mentioned that we need to focus on collaboration, concentration, connectivity, and just chilling. Tell us more about this and how it actually aligns to um, uh, the, the argument for companies and organizations and individuals to reopen up their workspaces. Um, yes, I think those, those are, we're coming back to a connected workplace. We're coming back to a place where people can connect. You can connect in various ways. So you, we, are, we are now digitally and virtually connecting, but we need to go back to the office where we allow for teams to connect, one-on-one -on -one people to connect. Um, we need to allow for a space where people can focus, concentrate, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether you go to a library space. Um, we need to have a space where people can just chill out, where you can have a space to relax, to, to rub shoulders with other people in the company that you wouldn't necessarily do. This will only be achieved in my mind successfully if companies broaden their minds into agile working and what that could really, really mean for a company. So if you, it's not keeping, not keeping your silos, not keeping your hierarchy, um, it's really going to a workplace which is open. Um, and I'm not talking about rows and rows of benches, but open to everybody to come and collaborate or sit and eat or meet with anybody else in that company at any point in time, anywhere in the company. That's true agile working. That's really optimizing your real estate to the best of its potential. 
because what it's going to mean is your employees won't have a you won't have a ratio for your real estate for one-on-one. -on -one. You would have a multifaceted real estate that you can use in various ways with different employees. Um, so we really need to look at how to optimize the real estate um, with the three C's and also to understand the new agile and the flexible workforce and how that can work for companies um, to increase their effectiveness. I'm glad you mentioned that, Liani, because I think for many of us, we, we understand the messaging, but it needs to become practical, right? And the only way that we understand its practicalities is maybe even learning lessons from some of our counterparts in different industries. And I understand that insurance company, such as Hollard, uh, made up of a large staff and workforce, uh, usually within call centers, highly collaborative, that becomes a very challenging environment to, to implement such a strategy in. But I understand that there have been recent developments there. Perhaps if you could walk us through this understanding with yourself, uh, as well as Kyle McWilliams, uh, who joins us from Hollard, to give us some insight as to how they've made this practical and through the various lockdown stages in South Africa, how they've slowly begun to unlock and reopen their workforce. Um, so we started to engage with Hollard um, on a workplace strategy, um, just to give high level, and then I'll give over to Carl to understand from his experience and what he is. But to broadly, just high level to explain to everybody what workplace strategy is in its entirety and in the true way of doing it. So we take a very deep dive into a company. We look at everything from the visible and the invisible. So all of the spatial and the real estate components from your infrastructure, your workspaces, your filing, your IT, all of those, that becomes your visible. We also look at the invisible. So we understand what is the company culture? What do they want to remain, retain from the company culture? And then how do those two things align for, the, for that workplace to go into the future? So it's not just the re-gearing, reshuffling of the workplace, condensing everybody into one building. It's really to understand through optimizing your work, workspace and your real estate, what are the key essence that we need to do to preserve and even enhance your company culture. So I want to give over to Kyle, who we've been working with closely, and to, to really give us his experience of this process. Good afternoon. Um, thank you, Liani and Gugu. Uh, much appreciated for that, that introduction. Um, and, and glad to share our, our journey so far. I mean, I think we, we're still early days in terms of our workplace strategy journey that we're commencing with the, the Royal Property Group and internal developers. But it's an absolutely critical part of our journey to kind of make sure that we have the, the optimal employee value proposition going forward because it is, a, it is a very tight balance in terms of making sure that people find the work environment, be it home, be it at the office, and be it the varying environments within the office um, that are going to produce both the right productivity levels, the right connection to our culture, and the right connection to, to the various other employees and staff that we have at our buildings. Um, so, so what we're doing through the Workplace Strategy Project is really doing, as Liani mentioned, a, a deep dive in terms of understanding what our workforce looks like and how they work best. So we're doing that through everything from leadership discussions to employee questionnaires down to a detailed level um, to, to operational level discussions to see how do the different teams and the different job families operate best. Um, and as you can imagine in an insurance company, we've got um, multiple different work levels um, and work types. Um, as Google mentioned, we've got call centers, 
but we've also got actuaries um, who work very, very differently. Um, uh, and, and some within those different job families might work well at home and others in the same job family might work better at office. Um, so so we, we're working hard to understand that and then to, to formally build our workplaces and optimize our workplaces um, to cater for those varying needs. I think it's a, an extremely exciting time and I think the engagement we've had with our staff so far um, has been extremely positive. I mean, I think this is, this is what a lot of people have secretly in the background been wanting um, for a long time, um, to get this flexibility, to kind of modernize our workspaces. Um, for anyone that's been to the Hollard campus in Parktown, we've got a very progressive workspace as it is, and, and it's a beautiful campus. Um, I think we are very lucky, um, but I think we can do more in terms of, of building out the four C's, um, as Leonie mentions. Um, to make sure we've got the right collaboration spaces, uh, more collaboration spaces, because digital collaboration only goes so far. Um, and you want to see and talk to your counterparts. Um, you want to have the, the odd joke with them in the corridors. And you can't do that in a full-time work-from-home basis. So for us, the link to our culture, which is very unique, um, is, is critical. Um, and a lot of the time, our offices and our campus create that link between Hollard culture and the employee. Um, and there's that, that sense of, of, of magic that you get when you come to our buildings. And, and I think it's, it's to retain that and to, to even take that to the next level, um, which I think is, is critical. Kyle, I'd like us to build up on that to, to, to make it a little bit more practical for many of us who haven't had the opportunity to come to your campus and to build up on some of the themes that Natasha highlighted earlier on. But I can imagine when you're calling for increased collaboration between your team members, some of them rock up with masks on. So half yeah. your face is already gone, right? And yeah. that in itself takes away from some of the interaction and collaboration um, that we can uh, try to drive and enhance. Popping into someone's office just to, you know, bounce off a few ideas is no longer that easy because we're very yeah. conscious of social distancing and even the substances and places that we actually touch, uh, as we know, those are high contact areas uh, that uh, increase sure. the spread of COVID-19. So how have you implemented this and made it practical to allay the anxiety of your staff members but still prop up their confidence and levels of collaboration? It's a great question, Kuga. And I mean, we, we're still in the middle of this journey. So we haven't executed the, the, the change in the workspace yet. Um, so this is where we kind of still work in the hybrid world between digital collaboration, but also providing opportunity for staff to come back to offices. Um, we've, we've, we've got the facilities available. We've got big meeting rooms where people can socially distance, but still collaborate. Um, and we've got a nice, as Leonie mentioned, central meeting area um, at, our, at our main office, but in many of our other offices as well, where staff can come together in a socially distanced um, mechanism um, and, and still have these base levels of, of conversation. And I think those, those cafe conversations, especially with each other, but as well as other partners and brokers and suppliers are, are critical um, to how we do business. Um, Google my app. I uh, maybe have an opportunity to, to talk about this. So one of the things I think what's really important is to understand the word also of collaboration. So collaboration is not the Google idea of everybody talks and, and you write greatly on the, on the white wall. That's not only what collaboration is. Collaboration is really to break down the social barrier because as soon as you can progress past the social barrier of your colleagues, you as a company and your employees will become way more effective because the social barrier is the one 
that opens up your lines of communication. And as soon as you get past those, to in order to give a call to your colleague and say, listen, um, I, I remember you speaking, even if you didn't, but we met the other day, um, I've got this lead or I've got this job, that's collaboration. So collaboration is really about breaking down the social distance that you might have. And that's exactly what this is doing. So even though we are physically distant, socially we're not. Socially, we, there are, this thing is things that bring us together. So it is still bringing us socially closer, still allowing for collaboration, just not in the, in the, in the sense that we would anticipate collaboration to be. And the other end of the spectrum is not just on, on the collaboration, but also on creating the right focus spaces for people. Um, and this is also understanding certain staff members have been forced to work from home, but don't always have the optimal working environment at home. So it's to create those, those spaces at the office that if you want to come and just spend a couple of hours on your own in a quiet area to do focused work, um, to build that out properly as well. Um, and then the other element that we, we, we have a lot of already um, at a lot is, is the fun spaces. Um, and to make sure that that fun continues through all of our spaces. Um, and one of the reasons why staff are coming back to the office is to have that social engagement, um, to, to have a bit of fun together, be it playing pool or be it table tennis or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's a critical part of our journey through this new world. Um, I'm loving how uh, unwinding is now also an important element included in uh, increasing productivity at the workplace. But Natasha, you have a comment uh, that you'd like to throw into this one. Um, I wanted to respond, yes. Um, and Carl, thank you for sharing that. Um, one thing that I've noticed is th the stress associated with returning to work. And, and I'm so glad you mentioned the fun. I've actually found in some of my projects, we've been more productive when we work in this way. It, it's the most stressful thing for me to go to Woolies. I, I cannot do the mask thing. I feel I am, it's claustrophobic. I don't see somebody smile. You have to really look at the eyes to pick up the smile. Um, so what I found is our physical interaction is actually strained. So one thing that is extremely good is when uh, you allow the teams to take control of their own collaboration. So if it's a project team that's working, let them set the boundaries of how are they going to come back? How are they going to interact? How are we going to greet each? I mean, it's a silly thing, but you know, we've got a westernized way we have to shake hands. Now we can't shake hands. So let's, let's, choose a greeting. Um, but if you, the more you empower teams and let them set the agenda, and, and I really like the idea of, you know, the social interaction is for fun and creativity. The formal stuff can, can happen like this. So, so thanks, Google, for allowing me to step in there. I'm glad that you did, and I'd like to build up on it. Um, uh, Liani highlighted the, the visible and the invisible elements that speak to uh, the culture of an organization. Uh, and top of mind, as you mentioned, uh, walking into a retail store and having to adapt to this new ordinary, uh, I'd also like to get a clarity and, and further understanding as to how this ties into 
facilities management. For many of us, you walk into a door, you expect the hand sanitizer to be there, or you're walking through a tunnel um, that will sanitize you. And I can imagine, Richard, that this also plays an element into not only the visible uh, elements that speak to facilities management, but also from a staff point of view. I'd like to get your feedback on this one, Richard, as to how it's really changed the landscape to show employees as they walk in that they are taken care of, that their health is a priority, uh, and at the same time, then allows them to be at ease to interact informally more with their colleagues. Richard, share your views, and Kyle, if you've got anything no, to add, thank you. feel free to jump thank in. Thank you. Thank you, Gogo, and uh, afternoon, everybody. It's quite a remarkable conversation, I must say. Um, a lot of uh, common shared is, is things that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis in, in facilities management. Now, facilities management by its nature is, is really a, a skill or an ability to, to tailor the workplace in such a way that you get out productivity, but also that you, that you maintain the quality of life or in fact improve the quality of life of, of, of your workers. I mean, Carl uh, has spoken about the fact that um, uh, issues around the, the employee value proposition. Why do we come to work? Um, and Natasha has spoken about the, the, the value proposition from a psychological point of view, the need for interaction. And, and facilities management bring, brings all those things together for us. Um, what we've seen with the, with the onset of um, the coronavirus and, and the fact that we needed to make our, our workspace safe is that it, it started out firstly, first and foremost as, as a compliance issue. So, so besides having to worry about uh, issues around occupational health and safety, you have to worry about compliance now from a, uh, from a COVID point of view. Because all of a sudden, WHO, WHO was saying to you, make sure that even before you get to the workspace, your interaction with one another, there should be social distancing of at least 1.8 meters. Uh, make sure that you wash your hands regularly and preferably with soap. Make sure if you can, I mean, and before it became legislative in, in, many, in many countries, in many areas, that you've got a mask on. So, so many of these things were, were there for us, first and foremost from a, a legislative point of view. Um, um, and, and it was very important that we do that. Now, uh, Google, you've asked the question, you know, what do we do from a facilities management point of view? What we do and what we had to do from an FM point of view with respect to all those things was to say, okay, where do we start? And, and, and for us as FM, it always in many cases starts with the risk. So we needed to make sure that we do a risk assessment. Um, for, for Liani, from a workplace point of view, there are certain questions that you need to ask from an employee, from a psychological point of view, and from an FM point of view. Uh, there were issues that we needed to ask from a risk point of view. And, and what we used to, 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 to get to those answers was to do a risk assessment. And based on those risk assessments, you could then profile um, the type of build environment that you have, the kind of people that you have that come into, into, into your facility, how regular they come into, in, into your facility, and what they come and do. Um, so, so, so the risk assessment was, was then important for us from that point of view. And based on that risk assessment, you could then put things in place to say, when you have hand sanitizers, how many do you have and where do you have them? Do you have more hand sanitizers in, in, your, in your areas where people congregate more? Uh, do you have hand, more hand sanitizers where there's a lot of activity around lifts? What do you do in your spaces like parking areas? And wh what do you do in spaces, in, in where, where do you, what do you do in, in spaces where people come, in, come into the building? 
So it was then very important for us to do this. What we've seen though in this last three to four months is it's become much more than just a compliance issue because quite rightly, like, like Liani said, it's not just about making sure that you come to the building, but making sure that it's about the culture. Carl spoke about the culture. What kind of company and organization do I want my company to be? How do we want to be seen as, as a company? So in as much as you make sure the compliance is there, you also have to make sure that you take care of issues of culture, making sure you have to make issues of, of, of people's comfort in, in an organization. So we, we started seeing that the focus moves away from compliance, but very much to issues around prevention, making sure that the, the area is such that you prevent the dangers from happening, and also making sure that there's issues around early detection. All of a sudden, whenever you go to a, a shopping complex, there were either a, a somebody taking your measurement or you had to go through an equipment to, to make sure that you were at least uh, certain temperatures so or early detection then became something that was very important. But also we saw a shift to constant surveillance to say, it's fine to, to, to say that uh, uh, we need to have preventive measures in place. It's fine to say that there should be early detection, but we need to make sure that you've got constant surveillance and, and you put things in place uh, to, to make sure that you can always at a point say, you know, if something goes wrong, how then do you isolate a person? How do you take this person to isolation room? And how do you bring this person back if you've made sure this person is safe? So we needed to make sure, and you know, that's what makes Brawl such a, a very interesting place to work in because we could take the ideas and the, and the, and the concepts around the four C's and even around what we've done with Cushman and Wakefield around the, the six foot strategy in terms of whenever you walk into a, a facilities, there are certain things from an engineering point that needs to be in place and bring that uh, for, for, for it to speak to facilities management. So that was one of the, the trend that we, that we saw. The other thing that we, that we saw was in as much as the facility management division or whichever division of Coral needed to go and say, look, uh, when the, um, uh, when the, the left came in terms of uh, when the left came in terms of, of, of South Africa and people started to go back to the workplace, we needed to give solutions with respect to the workplace because all of a sudden people were saying, Richard, how do I make my place safe uh, in terms of the workplace? And for a month, it, it was the workplace. And all of a sudden people said, okay, now it's the schooling space. What do we do in terms of the schooling space? And what we saw is, and, and, and those are the things that, that, that Brett uh, will talk about, is there was a lot of commonalities between the workplace and the school. So all of a sudden that the solutions that we were giving to the workplace, we could take some of the solutions and learnings and place them as well as the schooling space. We're already starting to talk about, we're already starting to talk about tourism industry. We're already starting to talk about the sporting fraternities because those ones also need solutions. And our, our clients are already knocking on our doors and saying, how do we make sure that our sports stadia are safe? How do we make sure that our ablution blocks in, in, our, in our sporting arenas are safe in the case when that will happen? Because it, it's not a matter of if it will happen, it's a matter of when it will happen. So, so that was another dynamic that we saw in terms of, of, of not in terms only in terms of prevention and and all these other things, but also in terms of industries systematically opening up and we as Brawl needing to be uh, almost proactive and making sure that 
we have those solutions before uh, before the markets opened up as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned very critical points there, and I think a, a poignant element for us to shift the conversation because we've been talking about the workplace where we're talking about mature adults who understand systems, who understand controls. Schools, on the other hand, are made up of uh, much younger individuals of our population who are used to uh, a sense of autonomy. Uh, and uh, Brett, you represent Hilton College, uh, one of the uh, most well-known uh, schools within the South African landscape. And I'd be really intrigued to understand how, from what Richard has highlighted and your partnership with Brawl, you've been able to implement some of these strategies to, number one, ensure the safety and well-being of your school pupils, but number two, continue to drive productivity from these uh, schools, uh, uh, teachers, as well as the pupils themselves, and most importantly, continue to build on and add to the trust element for parents to comfortably allow their children to go back to school. What have some of the key lessons and and key implementation strategies been um, that you've uh, highlighted at Hilton? Uh, Thanks, Gugu. Um, Firstly, uh, I'd just like to say that you know, what has been said so far resonates very strongly uh, with us here at Hilton. Uh, there's nothing in any of that that doesn't sound familiar. Um, schools, though, are quite unique and quite complex because they are relationship driven. And in dealing with this, if you don't mind, I'd like to take a slightly different approach and present it as a little bit of a case study, because I think that might be, be useful. Um, so I, I beg your indulgence. But at the outset, I must stress that the concepts of integration and partnerships have been key in formulating our specific approach to managing the demands of COVID-19 at Hilton College. The fact that Brawl has taken this proactive step of the podcast, I think clearly represents that strong and integration partnership approach. So I'm going to tell Hilton's story due to the interwoven nature of that partnership approach uh, as, as we go ahead. But I first need to provide a little bit of context because Hilton College is quite unique in many respects. And I, I don't mean that uncharitably or unkindly, but let me give you a paint picture. Firstly, we're a full boarding school with just under 600 pupils. So no day scholars at all. We have to look after the boys 24 seven 365 when they're in term, when they're in school. It also means that our business activity takes place where the residential activity takes place. So there's not a clear differentiation between work and home. Our teaching model is also based on pupils being fully immersed in the educational environment with the face-to-face Uh, interaction and contact with teachers. This allows us to build nurturing relationships, treat them as individuals, and help them build their own social skills. So ours is a physical presence model. In addition to housing our pupils, though, we have a significant number of teachers who are resident on the property. So our built environment, and this is where Brawl really comes into play, uh, consists of the following broad areas. We have teaching spaces, classrooms, a theater, assembly halls. We have seven boarding houses, about 50 staff houses, uh, sport buildings like pavilions, gyms, and the like. In addition, we self-reticulate the following services, power, water, including purification, wastewater, including treatment and disposal. 
but we outsource these specialist areas to third-party contractors, facilities management, cleaning and grounds, catering and security. So in short, Hilton College represents a microcosm of society and we're our own self-contained village, but with the added dimension of parent interaction and visibility. So it's actually quite a complicated approach. So we decided as a microcosm, we needed a holistic uh, approach to this, not just as a workplace, as a community. And that's quite important. So we had to focus certainly on compliance with the regulations, but from an active, not just a statutory basis. Uh, we appointed a compliance officer, and for my sins, that's me. But we extended that into a COVID-19 team, where we took specialists in various areas, including our contractors partners, and said, right, this is your area, you're the specialists, you go ahead with this, here's the standard, go and apply risk analyses and produce what we call um, uh, operating protocols that are tailored to the specific activities that, that happen there. So that was very important. It also meant that we not only had specialists looking at each area, I mean, what I know about sport or what I know about maintaining a swimming pool or what I know about running a school sanatorium is, is zero, but we have to make sure there are no gaps between each of those areas. So we pull it all together. Now, each of the site managers for, for cleaning, uh, role on the facilities management, catering, they were all co-opted in as part of our team, our partners, right from the start. And they took charge of their own COVID compliance requirements, providing the COVID requirements they need in terms of their services, and ensuring that any suppliers they bring onto site are COVID compliant to meet our needs as a school. So as I'm sure you can imagine, you know, schools are highly emotive places. We've got the most precious possession of parents, their, their, their kids, their sons, and we have to look after them. So we had an integrated approach where we took the requirements of compliance and hygiene and safety and in, brought those into being into how we modify our operations. But these are living documents. These risk analyses and operating protocols are living. They are not done, put on the file. We continually look at them, review them, and we have regular walkthroughs by senior management to make sure that people are wearing masks, are socially distancing. So we're, we're doing that on, a, on an ongoing basis. But right at the center of this, we said it's people that count. Um, and that's, so that's our, our own people, our staff, our pupils, and our contractors and their staff. Because we're in the people business, it's people who make things happen. We understand that the situation provides and places a huge amount of stress on people, which affects their well-being and performance. And we have to protect our pupils and staff because a school is meant to be a safe place. So we have to put people front and center. There have been, um, in working on the business side, some implications for the pedagogy, the, the teaching methodology. 
And most schools, I think, or many schools are operating under dual delivery mechanism where you've got some virtual pupils like we're doing now, and we've got some in the classroom. I need to debunk though the concept that it's online learning. Online learning is a separate educational product which the market develops and hones. It's largely a one side fits all. So what schools have had to do is convert their classroom practices to what is known as emergency remote teaching, ERT. And that's been a big paradigm shift in how we do things day to day. And that brings its own stresses, uh, at least in the short term. The other thing we have to be careful of is not consider it blended learning. Because blended learning, there's no agreement as to what that means. Uh, it, different things to different people to different schools. But essentially, it's how you use technology in your teaching. So we're seeing an evolving uh, situation with that as we tweak our operating model. So it's not blended learning. I call it a dual medium learning. So our teachers are in the class with boys and there's boys on the screen. It's quite complex. So we've had to manage our people very carefully. And I'm sorry I'm going on, but it, it provides the whole. Um, you, you've so, really hit the nail yes, on the sir. head there, Brett. And I do want us to come back to you in just a moment because mm. you've really provided us with a very clear and critical example of the microcosm of a society uh, that Hilton mm. College is. Uh, and for many of us, I'd like to take the conversation to another level where we all probably know a few individuals who have tested positive for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of numbers anymore, but it's a matter of names, individuals that we can identify with and that we are familiar with. Uh, and given what you've highlighted, yes. it raises the concern and the balance, the dichotomy of uh, tracing and sharing transparency okay. in terms of positive cases that are identified within our workspaces, within our schools or within our societies, but at the same time, providing enough um, um, security and privacy to ensure that there is no stigma that might be attached to that. Brett, I want us to come back to you just to get some feedback mm. as to how you're managing this in association uh, with Brawl. But for the moment, I do want us to uh, come to Natasha purely mm. because of time pressures to give us an understanding of the psychological effect that that then plays a part into how it's being implemented at Hilton College and of sure. course, even at Hollard and Brawl as well. Natasha, if you could share your views, Brett will come back to you and Richard, feel free to oh. jump in. Thank you so much, Gugu. Yes, um, I, I raised that uh, because it is a dichotomy and it is one of so many of the ethical dilemmas that I alluded to earlier. We, it, it's unprecedented times. It's uh, different ethical dilemmas that we have to deal with. Um, but there was an interesting case a few nights ago on the news, uh, a very famous Bollywood actor and his son was positively diagnosed. Uh, they, ca they came forward and they specifically came forward because there is such a stigma at the moment in India. And India is the second highest country um, in terms, terms of infection and impact of the, the virus. So they specifically came forward and uh, proclaimed, um, I mean, we saw in our own media, our own stars, AKA, uh, putting it out there for everybody to know. So I think we shouldn't even think of this any different to anything else. The HIV AIDS, uh, it took us years to move forward to, you know, get over it as an, uh, a stigma. And this is the reality, you know, it's, 
uh, I think the difference is the uh, we are uneducated, we have ideas, we think we must wash hands, we think we must do this, but nobody really knows. I mean, there's not enough science to tell us enough of this situation and this disease. Um, so the best we can do at this point in time is have compassion, um, meet people where they are at and have accommodating. I'm so happy Richard mentioned that there's compliance, but there's also compassion and dealing with people. I always said there's a, a few centimeter drop between the head and the heart. We as human beings are between our heads and our hearts the whole time. So we need the rules, but we also have to feel like we understand the why of doing things why this rule and the more you engage people and get them to be part of the solution the more the why makes sense for them and and i think i'll leave it at that um i just wanted to um note something there that natasha said so one of the things is you also mentioned the transparency and the psychological fear that we're going back so we need to consider the different ways of people work and the different ways that they are being paid and I think that's something that I, if you think of a health-based workplace, it's not only your physical health, it's not only your mental health, but employees have got a, employers have got a responsibility to look at your social health, your financial health, um, your psychological health, your mental health. So if somebody is coming to the office and they are only commission-based, what is the chances that they might say, I am not tested positive for COVID-19 for the fear of not getting an income that month? So that's just something I wanted to raise because that's a really big responsibility that's currently lying at employers. Um, and that, that's something that I want to raise. Um, lastly, just on a point of Richard. Um, so I think for the world of work where we're going to go now and as he said, like rightly so, we are moving away from the compliance and the maintenance um, role of facilities management. And we will be going to adopt to this new world of work. We will be going to have facilities management move into a concierge service, um, where it's not only maintenance, but like Brett said, if you, uh, if you take it back to school children, they are invited back by their teachers. They are guided through the school to understand where they're going. They know exactly where, the, where they need to go if something is happening. And that should be translated exactly back to the world of work. We should have that person um, th that really guides you through the workplace, especially if the workplace is going to become agile and flexible. So yeah. that was just my last few. Okay. Thank you. Google. I just wanted to maybe also from my point, just raise a few points. Um, the first one is to do with the fact that um, you know, just before we, we closed off, we did a business continuity work process at Brawl. So before the onset of, of the lockdown, two weeks before, we actually did a, a, a business continuity process where we closed off all our, we worked, tried to work remotely to see if we could, because at that stage we saw what the world was doing and we, we saw that the lockdown was a matter of, of, of a few of a few days even at that stage so we locked down and we, we checked whether people could work from home um, the analysis that we got back was to say that 99.6 percent of our people could work remotely um, and, and 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 the rest that couldn't work remotely was because of po possibly uh, connectivity issues and, and and maybe things where there wasn't electricity but the point is what working from home means firstly is there may be actually people that don't have workplaces to work from 
um, and as, as, as employers we should be thinking of because yes it's true what this thing has shown to us is we can basically work anywhere we can work in a restaurant we can work uh, at home we can work even in our cars um, but the reality is some people may not be able to work where they are so um, that's the one thing also from a uh, from a, a, a infrastructure point of view if, if we say that the home is gen is the new workplace what needs to be in place in the work in the home space to make sure that connectivity works to make sure that uh, info security works how do we make sure that the same integrity of password management same integrity of encryption and those kind of things from a infrastructure and a facility management point of view needs to be in place the other thing, about, so, so, so that's important from a, a build environment point of view. From a leadership point of view, uh, it's important to say it's true that uh, I don't need to see my people to be able to, to manage them or lead them, but that means I need to make sure that where they are, they understand what the culture of the organization is. They need to understand what the brand of the organization is. But more importantly, um, and it's, it's, a point, it's a point that... Uh, that uh, a cow made about focused areas, they need to know what the focus is. So it, the, the working away from the office also brings a different type of leadership. So uh, your, your typical type of leadership that there was needs to change to a different type of leadership. You say, irrespective of where you are, you need to understand what your goals are. You need to understand what the organization stands for so that when you go out there, when you do your business, that's in place. But more importantly, we need to be able to measure performance of our people, not just in terms of making sure they're doing the jobs, but because we want them to get better. So I, I, I thought I should just uh, drop those other those drop those points. But also importantly, for me, besides besides that point, is also what what has become a, 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 something for us at BC is we can't do it alone. So collaboration is important uh, going forward. Uh, collaboration with uh, our clients, the fact that we're sitting today in this podcast uh, with Holland Insurance, the fact that we're sitting here with Hilton College, uh, and the fact that we can bring our different clients together on a same platform says the need for collaboration is crucial. The other point that's crucial going forward in terms of what we do is integration. What we've seen is um, uh, competencies can't stand all by themselves, so facilities management can't stand away from occupier services. Occupier services can't stand away from, from the workplace strategy. The workplace strategy can't stand away. And also, what we've seen with our experiences with, a, with the, the commercial sector, which is a, is a whole lot, and a Hilton is, um, it is very nice for an organization that can have a helicopter view like Brawl to be able to take the, the learnings from one industry and very quickly replicate that. But you need to understand the person and the client because giving a solution for an adult is totally different to giving a solution for somebody who is a child between uh, seven years and 18 years old. I, I thought I should just also mention those, those few points. Very few yeah, points. Brett, if, I, if I could just, yeah, um, I, I would echo uh, what Richard and everybody said, but you asked me a couple of questions. Uh, firstly, about how we deal with the boys and, and the testing and all the rest of it. We have a daily uh, 
two twice a day testing process, uh, which measures temperature and a declaration as to aches and pains or whatever it is. And our protocol around all of that and referring them to our school sanatorium for further investigation, uh, if necessary, isolation and quarantining is a very detailed and strong protocol. We actually have uh, an authorized quarantine facility here, signed off by the Department of Health, which Brol has been very helpful in helping us get ready. So we are very lucky, if I can use that phrase, in that sense that we can take care of our boys. Uh, staff are also temperature monitored, and we all have to make a daily declaration as to the symptoms. So we watch that very carefully, and we've got dedicated people that are watching it. It's all electronic, and it pops up flags. But coming back to the rest of it and picking up on what's said is, apart from the integrated partnership approach, communication, communication, communication has been vital. Right from the start, whether it's our parents, whether it's with our partners and our staff, we're keeping them advised. We've made our people part of the process. So we've got buy-in and understanding. There's less of a doubt and uncertainty situation because people know what's going on. They know what's expected of them. And then to Richard's point about you know connecting, we have a daily half an hour teams meeting, all the staff with the headmaster, virtually online, catching up, swapping things. And that includes some of the softer things like saying, happy birthday, Fred. Uh, it's Fred's birthday today. So we, we, we introduce some of those softer touches because the water cooler conversations have gone. Uh, so we have to do it different ways. So it, it is quite, quite complex and we have to regard it as a going forward process. So yeah, there's a number of things and I could go on and list all the stresses and strains that we've identified, but um, it's people and partnerships. True collaborative efforts that have been highlighted here. And thank you for sharing some of those lessons with us, Brett, from a school and education schools group point of view. Kyle, I'm keen to get your, your, your final and closing remarks here. I understand that uh, much of the strategy that is going to be implemented at Hollard is changing. It's nimble. It's uh, adapting to what it is that will work for the culture uh, of the corporate identity of the institution. But what lessons are there that you are able to share with us um, as outside uh, participants, either individuals who are in leadership positions, who are trying to get our employees to come back to work, or even as employees who need to get our minds right in terms of beefing up our levels of productivity, so that we're prepared to make our way back to the workplace? Sure, thanks, Guy. Uh, I, th I think it's, it's absolutely critical to create that sense of grounding. Um, and, and a key part of coming back to that office is that sense of grounding. And that's your corporate identity at the end of the day. If you're sitting at home, a lot of us lose who we are to a certain extent. I mean, I'm no different to, to you or to Leonie or to anyone else because we're sitting at home. Um, I don't necessarily have the colors and the thoughts and the, the, the company CI um, around that kind of creates that kind of bond and um, sense of belonging. So I think it's, it's critical to create that through your workplaces, um, which will be a big driver of bringing staff back because there is a lot of value in bringing staff back um, across multiple instances. And there's a lot of um, value that the employees get, not just from the social aspects that we've spoken about, the collaborative aspects, but in terms of, of what they get out of our workplaces. Um, 
And that's everything from our, our food and beverage offerings to our concierge services to, to multiple other things that we provide our employees. And, and that's gonna be a bit more difficult going forward um, because we've got a distributed workforce. Um, and we're thinking of some exciting things around how we can expand some of those offerings to people that are working from home. I think there's opportunity there to expand your employee value proposition even further. So I think we, we're excited on the journey we're going down and I think we, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I mean, as dire as the circumstances are, I think there's, there's positives that can come out of it. Thank you so much for that, Kyle. Uh, a lot of focus on partnership as well as collaborative efforts. And Liani, I want to come back to you to give us our closing remarks as uh, we uh, uh, go on to think of solutions that we can implement within our local um, um, entities and organizations. But how do we ensure that going forward, we make the new work environment, the new schooling environment, one that is successful and able to bring out the best, not only out of its organization, but out of its people as well? So thank you, Giga. I think there's uh, four components with that we we need from an operational level for all workplaces and all schools and everything to come together. The first one is your like in your world of work, it would be human resources as your custodians of your employees and what they do and how they facilitate and be um, encouraged to to to, to de develop more in the psychological aspects of their employees and of the, the children at school and um, in, in any other in industry for that matter. Uh, we need to have a very deep relook at the tools and technology. So as Carl rightly said, it's like, what is your IT? So usually we have a spend or a expenditure of your things that you might require. But as we've just seen, we, we've got kids that are working either from, from school or doing digital class. So how do you facilitate your employees to have that ability? Maybe they can't afford that their kids can work on a, an iPad or a laptop or something like that. Or is there a possibility for employers to assist with things like that? Um, then there's the workplace component, which is a spatial component and a physical component. So from a workplace perspective, your world at work is completely going to change. We have to center it, we have to ground it, we have to come back to the sense of community and how do we cultivate that um, going forward. And um, yeah, that's, I think those, if we touch on all, all three of those, and obviously your, as I've said before, your facilities management, that becomes your concierge and your, your, your guidance um, through your space and through your operations, um, through all these three aspects. I think we can create a better world of work and create a better partnership, both virtually and physically, um, for everyone to work together. Well, I must say I've been pleasantly uh, taken aback by this conversation, as I'm sure many of our listeners and viewers have been, because whilst it's based on the fundamentals of the built environment and the property sector, what really has been the focus here has been people whether it's collaborative efforts, partnerships, compassion versus compliance. Fundamentally, we've spoken about making sure that we speak to the heart of who we are as individuals and how the collaborative efforts uh, culminate into success once we're able to come together in unison, whether virtually or in person. Thank you very much to each and every one of our speakers who really offered their insight and industry expertise, as well as experience on the ground. And one thing that we all need to be cognizant of, especially within this South African environment, is that this landscape is changing. We will have to adapt, we will have to evolve with it, and find and source solutions that are unique to the various aspects of how it is that we live in experience life overall. 
all. These are some lessons that we're happy to share with our peers across the continent and of course continue to engage in a quid pro quo relationship as we have done in terms of understanding how we don't just make it a unique opportunity for us as South Africans, but one for us as Africans to thrive on across the continent. Thank you very much to all our speakers for joining us in conversation today who have shared some critical knowledge with us from their respective industries. Natasha Winkler, Liani Minnie, Carl McWilliams, Richard Flame, and Brett South. Thank you very much for your participation and uh, joining us in conversation today. And most importantly, thank you for watching and listening to this Brawl Property Intel podcast. Until next time, keep safe and take care.